You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Good morning, everyone. And uh, my name is Richard, if you don't know who I am. And it's great to be with you wherever you're watching. We might be having a watch party downtown. So hello to everyone there. Or if you're watching at home or with some other folk, it's really great to be uh, with you. And really excited as we kick off a new sermon series. And so this uh, past week on Wednesday was the beginning of what's called the Lenten season or the season of Lent. Now, if you like me and didn't really grow up knowing about things like Lent or Advent or the church calendar and liturgy like that, maybe some of these things are kind of new to you. But um, uh, for the longest time, in fact, from the earliest days of Christianity, from the earliest followers of Jesus, they began to see the magnitude of what had happened on the Easter celebration, Jesus raising from the dead. I mean, that's an understatement. They felt that magnitude and they felt like that called for a season of preparation leading up to that Easter celebration. And so eventually over some time, what um, began to become a pattern every year was a 40-day period in commemoration of Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness of which we're going to be talking about today. They had this season of of preparation and we call that uh, Lent today. And this is obviously religiously observed, but also culturally somewhat. You know, you might be in a workplace where you might hear people, I'm giving this up for Lent, chocolate, Netflix, whatever it may be. So it has some kind of lingering effect still in our culture. Um, but this season, this Lenten season, uh, specifically from a religious point of view, is a, it has a tone of reflection, uh, of repentance, um, in order to really return to God. And it's, so it's, it's asking questions of where in my life, where in your life have we gotten away from God, or what posture and practices will enable us to find our way back to God. And so it's a great time um, if you can observe it, it's a great time to ponder those questions, ponder those things, and, and wrestle through those things over the next 40-day period as we build up to that incredible Easter celebration, which we will have. And um, really, the essence of a verse I want to put before is an Old Testament prophet called Joel. He says it like this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. And so this series is going to embrace that kind of tone of reflection, of repentance, and returning to God. And uh, we're going to be looking at different things um, to build upon that. In order for us, that's all always a means to an end. It's, it's, it's for us to really uh, follow Jesus more faithfully, love him more sincerely and deeply um, in the time and the place that he's called us. And so you can join me. This is all Lent seasons patterned after Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness. So we're going to join Jesus today in the wilderness. And so join me in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read the first couple of verses. They're going to provide some really good context for us. And then we're going to dive into what is um, classically being referred to as Jesus in the wilderness or the, the temptation of Jesus. And so let's read from Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 from the ESV. It says this, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So before we continue on, let's just talk a little bit about that. So it begins with then, which means something's happened that now impacts what we're about to read. And what's just happened, if you read in your Bible, go back, but is a significant event in Jesus' life. It's the public baptism that he experienced, a baptism. And as he came out of the waters of baptism, the voice from his Father in heaven affirmed him. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so we see now that this, this, and that's loaded, right? This is now 
Jesus' identity has been externally affirmed. His messianic mission is now being kind of, the trajectory has been put in place for him. And so then it goes on. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now notice it was the Spirit that led Jesus into this time of testing and trial. And I know sometimes for us, we it's hard to reconcile that with the good and loving God that we know that God is. But God sometimes does lead us into times of testing. God sometimes leads us into circumstances to test, to see what's on the inside of us. Not so that he knows that, he knows what's on the inside of you and me, but that we can get to a grip with what's really going on in the inside of us. And so he leads Jesus into the wilderness. And so the wilderness sometimes is also translated as desert or isolated or desolated place. And so why? It's to be tested, to be tempted. Um, and then it goes on to say, by the devil. Now, if you're watching this live stream and perhaps you're, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, maybe you're curious, maybe you're skeptical. When we talk about the devil, this gives people a lot of like, you see, it's just a religion of make-believe. We think of things like the devil of cartoon characters, and it's really naive to think of something like the devil. And... Um, and I would, I would argue it's in our day and age really naive to not think of a personal evil, a personal evil presence in our world. You know, the, the devil, um, is referenced over 270 times in scripture. And so clearly scripture takes it to be a real personal force in our world. And so kind of an interesting, uh, conversation I had a, a few weeks back. I had a scheduled, uh, checkup with my doctor and before I saw her. She had a new um, medical assistant to kind of run me through um, before I handed over to the doctor. And she was a kind of a semi-retired doctor, really sweet lady, kind of old school in a, in a good way. And uh, we got talking and she was asking me questions about lifestyle and what do you do? And I'm a, I'm a pastor. And then it was like for the next 20 minutes, she dived into typics, topics of religion with me. It was kind of like Put all the health stuff aside. Let's talk about religion, which was really refreshing for me because usually uh, that's the last thing people want to do when they hear I'm a pastor. It's like, oh, an awkward kind of diversion. And she was so good. She was so honest. She said, you know, I grew up atheist. My father was an atheist, even though he was, on a, he was an elder in a church, which figured that one out. Um, and uh, she, she grew up atheist, and um, but they used to say grace at dinner. And so she was kind of like relaying these kind of things. And um She's, she's a mom, put her kids through uh, Catholic school because she wanted the morals and the goodness. And she said something profound to me. She says, you know, when I grow up, we had this vision of secular humorism, humanism was going to really just advance and change the world. And said, I can tell you right now, secular humanism has failed us. And says, what you're doing is so critical, so important. And I said to her, I appreciate that. He said, but the challenge is, is when you try to, div to divorce God from goodness, that's the problem. Everyone wants goodness. They want the morals. They want the kids to learn, turn the other cheek. They want all the good stuff of society. And I said, absolutely. But the, the faith that I believe says that cannot be divorced from a God of goodness. He said, that's the challenge for people like you and atheism, secular humanism, is you want all that good stuff, you want all the kingdom without the king. And she was very receptive, very open. And, and I just thought, um, and part of why she was saying secular humanism has failed is just last few years of just seeing the depravity of the human condition in our world. War, things that she had lived through as a medical person through COVID, the, 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 the divisiveness that she'd seen, just the, 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 the hatred she'd seen out of people, just the evil that she'd seen in people. Honestly, her words, not mine. And so for me, 
I would submit to you, if you struggle with a, 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 a real figure like the devil, I think it would be really naive not to think of a real personified force of evil at work in our world. And so Jesus certainly uh, didn't think that it was a, a metaphor or a joke. And then lastly in that verse, it tells us something very straightforward, is after 40 days of praying and fasting, he was hungry. And so for me, um, for you and I, it's just a reminder that we have this weird thing uh, of holding two things in tension when we think about Jesus. We know now that he was 100% God, but we also know that he was 100% human. And sometimes we can come into the story we're about to go into and we think, well, okay, that's Jesus. He can resist the devil. He can resist temptation. Why? Because he's God. Now, that's true. He is God. But it tells us in other parts of Scripture that when he was on this earth, he gave up a lot of the privilege that he had as God. As he, In other words, he lived as a human being like you and I, was subject to the limitations of his humanness like you and I. And so as we go into the story, he is wrestling with temptation like you and I. The difference is, is that he doesn't yield and submit to it. And so let's go in. And before we go in as well, there's, there's a couple of things going on here. There's a couple of layers, deep layers, strong layers going on here. Um, the first layer is obviously uh, how to handle temptation. Jesus is going to give us a masterclass of how to handle temptation. And that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. But there's another very significant part here. And we might not pick up on it because we're not coming from a Jewish background. But Jesus and his experience of the wilderness is very much um, an allusion to Israel and their experience in their wilderness. And I want to read a scripture from Deuteronomy 8.2 that sets the scene. This is Moses reminding the people after they've come out of their time in the wilderness. And he says, well, just before they're about to go into their promised land, he says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So see, we, we again, sometimes testing can be a loving thing, a good thing to know what's in our hearts. And so like Israel of old, Jesus has also been called by God to live a life of humble obedience. He's been called to fulfill his role in this messianic movement like the people of Israel were called to play a part in. And this call, like the Israel of old, is now going to be put to the test in the wilderness. And as you see, as we go through in these three encounters, these three temptations that Jesus has with the devil, every time he comes back and he quotes a scripture and he quotes it from either Deuteronomy 6 or Deuteronomy 8. And that's also significant because, again, it ties in with the experience of Israel in the wilderness. And where they failed, we're going to see that Jesus doesn't. He passes the test. He remains faithful to God. All right. With that background, with that context, hopefully a little bit helpful to you. Let's dive in and then let's read. Um, from Matthew 4, verse 3 to 11, as we continue. It says, um, And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And in the, I think it's in Luke's gospel, it says a little bit more of an ominous tone. It says that the devil left him again and looked for another opportune time to come back and test him, which is the devil's way of operating. But let's look at what Matthew has to say. And so what I want to do for us today is um, not so much pay attention to what's going on and that Jesus is the true Israel, that he is the Israel that that, that failed the test. He now passes the test. Um, although that is a significant part of this story and part of the reason why Matthew's telling it, especially for his Jewish audience. But I want to look at the other layer that's going on here. And I want to look at the Lenten test is what I call it, the Lenten test with Jesus in the wilderness. And we're coming back to what the season is about. It's a, a reflection, repentance, and a return to God. And so um, temptation is a very much a part of our human condition. In fact, not only does this kind of parallel what Israel went through with their 40 years in the wilderness and the testing, the trial that they went through, similar things with their provision and need for for God to provide manna or, or they're leading the providence of God. Where are we going? We're just wandering in this desert and, and that kind of thing. But there's also some parallels could be drawn even way further back to our original parents, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and their test, their test with a shiny fruit that the devil came and had similar language in appealing to them. And what he does and does best when he does in your life is he appeals to kind of um, uh, primal impulses and needs within us, legitimate needs as well within us, needs of survival, security and comfort, uh, of power, of feeling that we're in control of our lives, of of seeming to be successful um, and significant um, to the people around us. And so just by looking at Jesus encounter with temptation here in the wilderness. A couple of things I want to look at, just the nature of temptation is temptation is obviously strongest when we're vulnerable, right? It says Jesus was hungry after 40 days and 40 nights of of, of fasting. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the acronym HALT, but hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If you look back, maybe you don't have to go too far. Maybe it was last night. Or if you look back in the last week, and usually those are the moments where we're most vulnerable. We're most vulnerable to temptation. We're most vulnerable to act out in ways that are not Christ-like. It's usually a combination of those. And so certainly for Jesus, besides maybe the angry, he's definitely hungry. He's been alone. Um, And certainly prayer weariness is set into him physically. And so it's just like the devil to pray on our most weak time, right, to come in. And so... Just right there, when you're getting hungry, angry, when you're alone or lonely or tired, uh, there should be warning signs to, hey, maybe you need to get out of that environment. The second thing is the nature of temptation is deception. You know, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, one of his first things that he comes to, it says, did God really say? Um, just, a little, did God, just putting a little bit of doubt in your mind, did God really say? Uh, what does he say to Jesus? If you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, Jesus just had this amazing baptismal experience coming out of the water. I mean, angels are singing. Literally, it's one of those mountaintop experiences. And then very quickly now, that's being tested. And so the deception of the devil is to to take things that appear very true and just slightly shade them. It's a seduction, if you will. It, it's the appeal to make sin look um, appealing, attractive, and even desirable, right? And he does that very well especially in our vulnerable states. So there's three things, three tests, three things 
I think a lot's going on in these. These are not like compartmental. So even though I'm going to go through three things, I think there's a mixture of uh, an appeal to Jesus to prove uh, his his messianic powers. What's he going to do with the position of power that he's in? How is he going to leverage that? There's a lot going on here. But in terms of identifying with us and our humanity, the first test is the test of provision. Will you turn these stones into bread? And it's basic, the basic level of temptation, but a strong level of temptation. It's appealing to our need for security and comfort or even survival. Right? Here's a physical need. Um, you're hungry. Surely you're hungry. And you have the power to turn these rocks into bread to meet that need. And so it's the subtle temptation to uh, fulfill legitimate needs like hunger through illegitimate ways. He would have been stepping out of his boundaries, certainly stepping out of what God had called him to do if he leveraged his power in that way. And so what I really appreciate is Jesus doesn't deny his embodied reality. He doesn't say bread's wrong. Even quoting Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, right? We need bread. We need food. We need our certain basic needs to be met. What he does do is he just says that's not the ultimate aim and goal in life. It's to live and to feast off God's will and God's way. And so what we could say is so often our lives can be an advertising so good is our highest goal in life could be to fulfill and satisfy our physical needs, our need for comfort or security. Um, and is to, is to fulfill that and to make that. And so again, it's very subtle. It's deception how it works because those are legitimate needs. You need shelter. You need food. You need clothing. You need these things. You need provision in your life. But, oh, gosh, can we make that an ultimate thing? And can we strive after that? And so Jesus rebuts this and says, no, as, 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 as real as those needs are, there's something even greater at stake. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. I love what the... Uh, uh, for 16th century Spanish Catholic priest Ignatius of Loyola says about this. It says, sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. You know, think about that. Think about the times that you've been tested or tempted. Think about whatever that temptation is in front of you. And it's probably a temptation to say, hey, this, this is going to make me happy. And it could genuinely do make you happy in that moment. But the real temptation, the real test is, is that thing going to provide the deep and ultimate satisfaction and happiness that God really does long for you? And sometimes it's denying those things in order to go after something that's deeper. And so for you, it might be a question of how am I looking to and trusting in other things to provide that need of security and comfort that might take me out of the bounds of God and his will and his way. The second test is a test of providence. At least that's what I'm going to call it. Throw yourself down, Jesus. Do something spectacular. If you're the son of God, we've heard that you're the son of God. We've heard everything that comes with that. We know the messianic expectation, the power, and the position that comes with that. So if you're that, throw yourself down. Gather a crowd. Do something spectacular with your life. It appeals getting control with your destiny. Determine your fate. And so this appeals to our need for, for control and significance, right? Who doesn't want to have a life of significance? Now, what's very interesting in the second temptation is Satan ups his game, right? He quotes scripture to Jesus. I mean, think about that right there just for a minute. Like, Jesus, the eternal word of God in flesh, and Satan's throwing scripture at him. And he quotes Psalm 91, if you're not familiar. Psalm 91, it's a very popular scripture for a lot of Christians. And um, 
And perhaps you've seen this t-shirt, this meme, but I think maybe uh, the devil uh, subscribes to this kind of theology. Um, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Have you heard that before? You can. You can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And so he quotes scripture, but he does it poorly. He misapplies it. He takes it out of its context and he makes it mean and manipulates it to mean something else. Trying to trap Jesus. Trying to put it. So, you know, for Christians watching, just don't be like Satan, right? Like, don't just take a verse. Know its context. You know, sometimes we, we, we're well-meaning and we'll just pick cherry these verses and, and try to manipulate them to, to mean something. We, cause again, we want to control it, right? We want to control. And so we want to put God in a place where he's going to prove himself, the God card. Okay, throw yourself down. God said he's going to protect you. And so God has to. Right? It's his word, right? And so Jesus says, yeah, but it's also written, don't put your, don't put God to the test. Don't test God. And so Jesus correctly uh, rebuts scripture with scripture. And so that's just a really great example, a masterclass, again, of what Jesus is teaching us about how to handle and rebut the deception and lies of the devil. And so the test of providence, in other words, providence, it means divine care and control and the destiny of your life. Who's in control of that? Satan's like, hey, you're the man. Take control. Throw yourself down. That's spectacular. That'll gather a crowd. That'll, that'll usher in. Your, you know, you, you want to get a kingdom going here? And so for you and I, again, well, who's in control of my life and my future, right? And, and we can quickly, the right answer is God. <laughs> But existentially, are we living that way? Do we genuinely put our faith and our trust in God and His path for our lives? You know, this past Sunday, we, if you missed it, I really encourage you to go back and watch it. But we had a, a guest speaker, a Ukrainian pastor, Pastor Pavlo and his family. And their path is to go back to Ukraine, where it's a war-torn country, still in the height of war, a danger zone. But he believes in the providence of God. God's controlling and directing his life, and he's obeying. And so in some ways, the safest place his family could be is in the center of God's will. And so this is the test for us. If it's not just on the level of, of, of provision, our basic needs, it's the level of providence now. Who's determining the fate of my life? Am I going to try and manipulate God to control my own life? Or am I going to allow God and submit to his way and allow him to control my life and to have significance through him and not trying to build up my own significance. Uh, more of a contemporary author, Neil T. Anderson, talks about the essence of temptation is the invitation to live independently of God. And so taking Ignatius, it's the temptation to not think that God's ultimate happiness is his goal for me. And God really wants to make my life a misery. <laughs> like God really doesn't want me to have fun in life that he's committed to my ultimate happiness. And then this quote builds upon that is the essence of temptation is to live independent of God, is to maybe have God be a big cheerleader of your life, kind of support your goals, your dreams, um, have his blessing upon what you're doing. But that's really just living independently of God. That's you wanting to remain in control and just throwing nice Christianese to make it sound appealing, uh, maybe to satisfy conscience but the reality is it's to come to a place of utter dependence like jesus the son of god showing his utter dependence upon god his father and so where might you and i be putting god to the test and maybe manipulating scripture uh, for our own purposes for our own sense of control and then the third test is a test of power and so there you go provision providence power you're welcome three p's <laughs> 
And Satan says, look, he shows him, takes him on the high mountain, and he says, here are all the kingdoms. And it says, it, it, it says the verse says, it shows all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory, right? Now, isn't it interesting? It shows all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory, but it doesn't show their sin and their failures, right? Because he wants to not show that part of all the kingdoms of the earth. And so this appeals to our need for glory, our need for success. And this is a big part, particularly in our Western culture, um, that we live with today. And success could be however it is measured by the tribe that you're with or the group that you identify with. You know, I know for younger people, there's a, a big appeal to have platform on social media. If it's TikTok or YouTube, you know, I, I don't know when the shift happened, but when I was growing up, when they asked you, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was like astronaut, pilot, you know, doctor, engineer, whatever. And somewhere in the 2000s, it changed it. What do you want to be? I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be a YouTuber. I want to, you know, I want to have, I want to be an influencer. I want to have a sense of success and um, amongst a people who measure success by having so many followers or likes or a platform. Now, I can't speak for those. I don't really identify with those groups, but I tell you that the group that I most identify with as a pastor, it's on the dark side of our, what we identify as success has been the size of your church. Um, I think that's changing in a good way, but it still lurks there when you get together. You know, you go to conferences. Generally, the people that are speaking at conferences have a certain level of success, certain amount of people. They have a certain amount of charisma. They have a certain amount of followers. Their, their ministry has got a certain amount of fruit. And so there's, 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 a, there's truth in that. We should have fruit. But a lot of it can be caught up with size or a big budget. Or um, charisma, it's, and and I think I think a, a a Generation Z has looked at the failures of that, and, I, and refreshingly are turning increasingly away from that, which I think is a good way that God is using a younger generation to reform His church. But I got to tell you, that still is, and even in looks at my soul, uh, what is the measure of success for you, Richard, as a pastor, as as someone following God? What what is it that God's going to uh, put and call me to account for? Is it going to be the size of the church that I that I grew? Like even the language there is a bit weird, right? Do I grow the church? Does he go to church? What's my part? What's his part? But this appeals to all of our need for a sense of success, of glory. And so again, those are not wrong needs, right? So it's, it's, it's subtle. Deception is subtle. It's taking legitimate needs that God's put within us, but trying to pursue them in illegitimate ways. And so it's allowing God to define, hey, Jesus, I'll give you all these kingdoms. It's the kingdom without the cross. Gosh, that must have been appealing to Jesus, maybe just for a split second. Um, make a name for yourself. You know, today, it's, it's, it's about being self-made, self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-defining. Self is at the center of all those things. And so the question for you I would be is, am I caught in the outward trappings of success? However, success is measured in with the people you, you identify with in terms of career or social groupings? Or are you pursuing the worship and service of God above all else? So let's end off with this masterclass uh, that Jesus has been teaching us, a masterclass on resisting temptation. Now, when you saw Satan versus Jesus go a showdown in the desert, you kind of think it would be more like along an epic of the, the Marvel Center universe proportion, right? Like Thor and Thanos or something like that. And, and it's been very anticlimactic in some ways. Not super dramatic. I mean, there's been some dramatic things, but it's, it hasn't been 
anything on that level. Um, and, and I think that's the nature of the temptation. It's not a power struggle, uh, but it's a truth struggle. It, it is who has the truth and the person who has the truth wins the temptation, wins the temptation in the battle. Um, I love one of my favorite authors around things of, um, spiritual practices and disciplines. Um, Ruth Haley Barton, she, she writes this on this particular passage. Uh, she says, being able to discern what each temptation was really about enabled Jesus to decisively reject false self solutions in favor of the spiritual opportunities to trust himself to God. With each response, Jesus abandoned himself more profoundly to the reality of God's providence and provision in the face of his most primal human needs and impulses, which is what the spiritual journey is really all about. So God's power through spiritual practices. It comes down to some just very basic things. There's not like secret sauce here. It's just very basic things. You think about Jesus at the end of his days of 40 days and 40 nights and 40 days of, of being in the wilderness. Um, how is he able to handle these temptations? Because he's practiced some spiritual disciplines. Firstly, he's had silence and solitude. Okay, admittedly so, very extreme. I don't think God's calling most of us to go and spend 40 days in the wilderness uh, in a deserted place. But gosh, don't we need an aspect of silence and solitude in our time right now? It's creating space for God in an age of constant distraction, constant 24-7 being on that drowns out the voice of God, drowns out the affirming voice of you are my beloved daughter, you're my beloved son in Um. I'm well pleased. You don't hear that often enough as you should. Henry Nouwen spoke a lot about these kind of things in his book called The Way of the Heart. He says, solitude is not a private therapeutic place. It's not like a day at the spa, right? Rather, it is the place of conversion, the place where the old self dies, the new self is born, the place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter, the struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as a substance of the new self. And so I don't know what silence and solitude is going to look like in your life. Maybe it's just getting that 15 minutes before the kids are awake in the morning. Maybe it's turning the phone off for a 24-hour period. Maybe it's disengaging and not watching TV for a week, whatever it is, but it's carving out, creating space in our lives in order to hear the voice of our Father. What are the other disciplines that Jesus took practice in? He's been praying and fasting for 40 days. When we pray and fast, it deepens our longing for an intimacy with God. I've never prayed for 40 days. The longest I've ever prayed for is seven days. But I can tell you, at the end of seven days, there's a spiritual power and vibrancy that you get. You're just not going to get in any other way. Fasting weakens the flesh, but strengthens the spirit and releases a spiritual power and resolve in our lives. It's just unexplainable. And so at the end of this, he might be weak in his flesh, but I think Jesus is incredibly strong and resilient. We're not seeing a weak Jesus, like just kind of crawling and just can't wait to grab that first bread. Yeah, his flesh might be weak, but spiritually, I think he is on fire. I think he's had 40 days of communing with his father, of denying his fleshly pursuits, of getting in touch 
with who he is as the son of God, as this Messiah with this purpose laid out in front of him. And then lastly, what's evident, evident in the showdown with Satan is just his handle of scripture. His handle of scripture. When you and I are reading scripture, we're encountering God through scripture and entering his reality. In other words, we're stepping into what's true, truly true, uh, the way that God looks at the world. And so the world might say one thing, my flesh might say one thing, but when I come to scripture, oh, it might contradict those things. But that's the truest form of reality. And so where are you spending your reality? Where, where do you spend most of the time? If it's going to be the 24-7 news cycle, you're going to have a distorted reality or at least a reality that doesn't line up to God's reality. And so scripture invites us in to encounter God himself personally through those words, but also to reshape the way that we look at reality. And so Jesus reading, studying, internalizing, and yes, memorizing scripture and then speaking it out. You know, you get to speak back to the darkness. If you feel some of these things, if you feel a temptation coming on, if you feel darkness coming on, if you feel an anxious moment coming on, if you feel a a darkness of depression, sadness, you can speak back to that. You can use scripture to speak back and to reframe your reality according to God's reality. But it's going to take you to learn scripture. It's going to take you to know that scripture. It's going to take you to know which scripture to use in those moments. And we see Jesus present a masterclass. And so there's many other things we could talk about, but I wanted to put that before you, especially as we go into the season of Lent. Maybe choose one of those practices. Maybe you choose a practice that you're not familiar with. Maybe that's what your Lenten season should be. Maybe it's deepening scripture for you, prayer. Maybe you try fasting. Maybe you try a period of silence and solitude. But I want to end with this quote. Augustine spoke a lot about just the mystery, and it is a mystery, of our relationship and and partnership with God. What does he do? What does I do? And I don't know how it's split, but I can tell you it's primarily God does the heavy lifting. But I love this quote, and I think it sums up well of what we're trying to do. He said, without God, we cannot. But without without us, God will not. Without God, we cannot. So it's becoming an... Becoming excellent, becoming a professional in spiritual disciplines is not the goal. They're just a means to an end, but they're important means to an end. But without God, we cannot. But without us, God will not. And so we can't look to God for what he's looking to us to do. You know, when we do practices and spiritual disciplines, when we get together with our small group and we attend church, those are disciplines that open us to allow God what he does best. And so I want to leave you with that as a thought as we go into this Lenten series. You know, it talks later on in the book of Hebrews of how Jesus, because he faced temptation like a man, because he faced temptation like any human being would, he's able to empathize and have compassion with us in our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to have deceptive thoughts try and get us to do something uh, to yield to temptation. But because he was able to resist, because he successfully resisted sin, he's able to offer us grace and mercy and power in our time of need. And so we can come to him for that whenever we feel our weakness, whenever we feel that we have um, driven God out in certain areas of our lives. And so this Lenten season, where do you need to reflect and repent of in, in your life? Where has God gotten away from you, so to speak? Um, and in order to return to God with all your heart, may that be our goal for this Lenten season as we build up to the Easter celebration. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.